This morning's sermon, if you could turn to Luke chapter 4. We're looking at Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, once again, we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus. Before we do, let's pray. That's for God's grace. Father, we're so thankful and grateful that we have your word here this morning, that we can look at it and study it and learn from it. Father, you can convict and teach and instruct and help us in every way that we might glorify you, find joy and delight and pleasure in following you, and find strength and help and guidance from you. Father, ask this morning that we would truly come to understand temptation better, our enemy better, ourselves better, and that we might leave from here strengthened, helped in the face of adversity, trial, and temptation. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the temptation of Jesus, and we are looking at the context of this temptation and also the reason for it. But this week we're going to look at the actual temptation itself. Look at how the devil tempted Jesus and how he responded to it. And as we do... We're going to see that in our age especially, we need to be aware of the schemes of the devil because he is incredibly crafty, especially nowadays with the advent of the internet, we are particularly easy targets. Easy targets. And I'm going to explain why. And I've got got a little application at the very end of the sermon that ties this together, hopefully, and speaks to that issue in particular. Because it is a problem, a big problem in our current day. So, knowing that, knowing and understanding that our time, our age, our issues, our problems right now today are significant and slightly different than they were in Bible times, we need to pay close attention and watch. Because even though the age and the times are different, the schemes of the evil one are not so different. He has tactics. He has ways he goes about things. And as we'll see here this morning in this text, there are some areas in particular that he likes to go after. But before we get into the temptation specifically... It's important to note, as I pointed out last week, that the devil didn't just tempt Jesus these three times that we're about to see. If we look at the text as we started last week, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. And then what does it say? In verse 2, For 40 days, being tempted by the devil... So Jesus is led into the wilderness, it says, and he's there for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So Jesus is being tempted by the devil these 40 days, and we have three examples pulled out for us to see what it was like. Three examples, I might add, that are very helpful for us to understand the schemes of the evil one and what it's like to come under this kind of temptation and attack. Could you imagine, imagine as the greatest tempter, the best at it, 
the best seducer and accuser the world has ever known has 40 days with you at your weakest. 40 days. And he's going full throttle. Now, this is unlike us in any way. We've never known this. And how can I say that? We've never known the the degree of temptation that Jesus has even known here because it says in 1 Corinthians 10 that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. And with the temptation, he gives a way of escape. So with us, in our weakness, God will not, it says, God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. So Jesus, being much greater than us, much stronger than us, he's getting it to a degree that we could not handle. Satan goes at him with everything he has. And for that reason, we could not even begin to imagine the kind of temptation and trial Jesus is under here. Have you ever had a severe temptation and trial? Of course you have. You've been tempted, right? All of us here have been tempted. We're tempted on a regular basis. Do you remember what it's like for your flesh to be inflamed and to overtake you? Yeah, we have desires. Desires that get awakened. Desires that get inflamed. And these desires can overtake us. Have you ever had those thoughts racing in that seem to trip you and you're not sure where they come from? If so, you'll want to pay close attention and watch closely because Jesus has encountered these kinds of things. He's encountered the experience and knows what it's like to be tempted. We read in Hebrews this morning that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He's experienced it, and that's what makes him such a great high priest. He knows what it's like. He can relate to you. He's been there. And I'd even argue he's been there to a greater degree because he's so much stronger and so much more was brought to bear upon him by the evil one. In the first temptation, we see that the devil hits him here at his weakest point. It says in verse 2, for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, devil, and he had, he had ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Now, if not, that's not the greatest understatement in all of Scripture, I don't know what is. Did you, did you catch that little? It's, it's almost weird how the, how the line goes. So it says, and he had nothing to eat for those 30 days, 40 days. And when it was ended, he was hungry. Yeah. <laughs> he was starving. Absolutely starving. He wasn't just hungry. He was starving. He was famished. As I mentioned briefly last week, if I go like six hours, I'm starting to look at my right arm kind of funny. You know, it starts to get to us. After 40 days, and he was hungry. Yeah, seriously hungry. So when Jesus is in this condition, what does the devil do? He says in verse 3, The devil says to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. Now, you have to understand, 
The devil knows that Jesus can turn bread, sorry, stones into bread. It's not like he's asking you to do that. If you're so hungry, why don't you turn the stone into bread? Which is like, oh no, that's impossible. I wish I could. But he knows that Jesus with a very word could turn stones into bread. Because he knows, he's testing him. He knows he's the son of God. He refers to him as that. He says this, uh, if you are the son of God, so he's understanding and he's testing even that aspect of it. If you are the son of God, you know it's easy. And we also know that Jesus does this kind of thing being the son of God, doesn't he? Right away in his ministry, he does things like this. He turns water into wine. He walks on water. He tells storms what to do. He takes a couple loaves and some fish and multiplies them so they feed thousands. So we know that Jesus, as the Son of God, he does that kind of thing, doesn't he? So here, the devil knows, and he knows how easy it would be. Just just whisper at that stone, Jesus. You could whisper at it, and it'd be bread. Now, it's easy, I guess, to say, oh, you know, Jesus is God. It's different for us. Well, no. You've got to remember that Jesus is fully human. He experiences the same things that we do. His flesh would have been screaming, screaming for satisfaction. However, he submits to the Father's care. And he says this. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And in Matthew it says, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So man should not live by bread alone. It's not bread, Jesus says, that keeps man alive. It's God. In other words, that's another way of saying it. God is the one, not bread. But at this point, his body's freaking out on him. You know, Jesus would salivate at the thought of bread. Have you ever been hungry? And someone starts to talk about a burger they've eaten recently? And all of a sudden, the saliva glands click in, and it's just flowing. You're thinking, man, stop, better stop talking. <laughs> I'm going to have to go out and buy one immediately. Well, even the thought suggesting to him, bread. Think of that, Jesus. Bread. Mmm. You could turn it into the tastiest bread there is. Bread. It's available for you. It's pretty easy. That's, Jesus experienced a severe temptation. No one would have experienced the degree of hunger pangs that Jesus experienced because they probably would have been dead by now. So the thought, the idea of doing something easy, if it's easy, right, and you've got a passion and desire, and it's quite easy to go from here to here, and someone suggests it to you and encourages you toward it, that's a severe temptation. I have a great desire for it. It's really easy Why don't you do it? That makes it very tempting to do it. But Jesus didn't go there to eat. He went there because his father led him there. And he's waiting on his father, his father to provide for him. We've all been grocery shopping when we're hungry, right? It's really hard to resist the Cheetos or the chocolate bar on the way out. You're thinking, ooh, ooh. We know what that's like. He's tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, and even to a greater degree. He knows that. 
And the idea so well corresponds with the desire that he has that this is where the devil, what he does. He goes for the weakness. He knows your weakness. He knows the weakness in your flesh. He knows your desires. And he knows that if I hang the right carrot in front of you, I probably could get you. I know what you want. And I'll make, I'll make it easy. Easy. Let's make it easy. Let's not make it too difficult here. Make it real easy so that, it's, that you can go for it. It's really hard for us to resist passion and desire, especially when the thing that we want is so easily in front of us. Lately, it seems, like several times a year, some famous evangelical is falling into sexual sin. Especially now, because we know what everybody in the world is doing. We have Facebook, and we have the Internet, and we can find out, right? There's news everywhere. So we know what's happening. And we see, oh, there's another one falling. Well, why? What's going on there? Well, let me suggest it probably became, uh, it happened because of pride. They become proud or thinking that, that it won't happen to them. You know, especially, you know, if somebody's, someone's in a position where they're, they're, they're a pastor or they're a TV host of some sort and they're in a highfalutin position and they begin to think because there's so much blessing in their ministry that, hey, you know what, it's not going to happen to me. And the reason I say pride is because of this. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Or as Proverbs 16.18 puts it, Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Or move into the New Testament according to Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. He who thinks he stands should take heed lest he fall. Most people give themselves way too much credit. Oh, I can handle that. Or I can just look for a little bit. Or I could just, you know, I'll just smell it this time. Whatever it is. We give ourselves way too much credit. And we think that we can walk into the situation and, and, or whatever it is and think we'll stand. But you, you don't understand the weakness of your own flesh. You don't even understand, if you do that kind of thing, how proud you're being. We're to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We're not strong in our flesh. We're weak. And the devil can tempt you so easy and put things before you and make it easy, arousing a desire and making the fulfillment of that desire such an easy step that, boom, we fall. We have to understand that our flesh is weak. We have to understand that apart from the Lord, I can do nothing. That my strength comes from Him. Look to Him, depend on Him, and give no opportunity for the flesh. The wisest people don't walk past her window. The fool, what does he do? Walks past her window. And he says in his heart, I won't fall. And pride comes before the fall. Proud. 
We don't understand who you are. We have to understand that we're dealing with an enemy who knows our weaknesses, and he picks on weaknesses, and he finds them, and he's looking for them, and if, he gives you any, if you give any opportunity, it's going to be near impossible. If you walk by the window, if you put yourself there, to think that you will stand is foolish. You'll probably end up falling. But Jesus didn't fall, did he? Jesus overcame in the worst temptation you could imagine. He is our great overcomer, conquering over sin. But if the devil doesn't get you there, if he doesn't get you at your weakest point and use your flesh and and get you with appetite, he can get you with ambition. The devil loves to stir up ambition. Look at verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. It'll all be yours. What's he trying to do? Come on, Jesus. You can have it. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened, the details. We don't, he took him up. Matthew says it took him up to a high mountain. Now we have to understand that angels go from the highest heaven and down to earth and, and how they transport, we don't, we don't know how. We don't know how it works. We don't know how that, you know, the, the devil can take him up. And, and Jesus, uh, we see situations where throughout Scripture where angels show up, where they come, like Gabriel says, I was at the throne of God and now he's speaking to somebody on earth. And we have situations where where Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus on the mountain. We don't know how they transport or how this worked out, but we know that it, it does, and we, we accept that it does because we know that these kinds of things happen in, in the spiritual realm, which we don't fully understand or comprehend. But regardless, the devil took him up to a, high, a height, probably which he could see the, Mediter- the whole area of the Mediterranean. And probably in visions showed him cities and kingdoms, glorious kingdoms, and tempted with power, with glory, with the authority over it all. He knows this as well. See, the devil's no fool. He knows that Jesus has come as a king. He's the son of God coming to take and set up the kingdom because he understands he knows Scripture better than we do. And we're going to find out that shortly. That The devil tempts him and knows what's going to get him because Jesus has, he knows that he's come to take dominion. He's come to establish the kingdom. But he's also, he knows the prophets, he knows the visions, he knows what's been said about the Messiah coming. And so much is said about the promised land, Satan probably realizes or thinks that he's coming to establish his kingdom in the promised land. But he doesn't fully understand that, yeah, he thinks he's offering them something huge. In fact, all the kingdoms of the world. I will, I will give them all to you. But we know that Jesus is coming for them. And the way, he's, the way by which he gets them is through the cross. Do you realize what would be tempting about this? We all tempted, all humanity is tempted by money, power, and glory. But in this particular case, in this particular case, what is the devil offering? He's offering it all and taking away the cross. Jesus has come to take down the enemy. He's come to take all authority and power. 
And yet the devil is offering it to him without the cross. It's huge. Jesus, after the cross and resurrection, do you know what he says? In Matthew 28, he says what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So there we know what he's come to get. And it was all given to him. But he had to go through the cross. And so Satan's saying, you know what? It can be easy. You can have it now. You can have it without the cross. All you have to do is bow down to me, worship me. Well, the immediacy of it, the ability to get it all, and without all the cost, without all the sacrifice, we know that he was so in such distress that Jesus sweat drops of blood. He went through such agony that he begged the Father that if you would just take this cup from me, please, yet not my, my will, but yours be done. And so the devil's offering him the kingdoms of this world, all the power, all the glory, all of it, without a cross. Whenever we're offered... Offered money, offered glory, offered power. And we're offered it at a really low price or low cost to us. It's very tempting, isn't it? Many of us have probably got into money problems in our past. Some point or another, usually. And most of them come from foolishness where what do we do? We get into things that it looks really good. It's got a great offer. And it looks pretty easy on the surface. And so we're tempted by that. And we go after it. Because we desire, you know, just think of the same way of power and glory. These are things that we've all desired. Even the apostles, we know the apostles who follow Jesus, they they get caught up in what? In, In wanting to have glory and power. They're still at the end of their ministry, they're asking Jesus, hey, do you think we can sit at your right hand? What do they want? They want this power. They want this glory. And Jesus didn't say, you idiot. How dare you think something like that? How dare that even cross your mind? No, he told them that actually the way to it is through service, through, through giving, through serving. And, and, then, and then you submit yourself to God and God will raise you up. The way to these things is by waiting on the Lord, submitting to him, following him and allowing him to lift you up. And sometimes we only have to cheat just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a small one. Just to get the things that we want. Just think of how tempting debt is. The whole idea of it. Right? What does it allow you to do? It allows you to get what you want without waiting or earning and getting to the point where you can purchase it, right? That's the idea of it. I can have this, and I don't have to wait. Can you imagine? I don't have to wait. I hate waiting. I can get it now. And that's the whole idea of it, is that we enter into debt because, wow, I can have it now. I don't have to wait. And really, psh, what's the consequence? And so as long as we can lower the bar and we can make it easy, it becomes very tempting to us and we want to do that. We're willing to be subject to a, a bondage and be putting under, uh, under someone's authority and allow someone to rule over us as long as we can get what we want for a low enough cost. That's how we, that's how we live nowadays. We are people who, who very easily function in debt be, with that mindset. But it's, 
It's because we all desire to have. We desire to have money, glory, and power, and we're willing to do certain things, as long as it's within reason, in order to get it. Ambition can only be cured, though, when we look to the Lord, follow His ways, and submit to Him, and wait for Him to raise us up. You, don't, you can't get rid of it. You just have to redirect it. And understand it's the Lord who gives glory. It's the Lord who gives power. It's the Lord who gives riches. And it's the Lord who takes it away. It's the Lord who, who will give it to me when it's appropriate. He gives me what I need. Here's what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6-10. through 10. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God will do it. And this is exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? He submitted himself to the Father and waited on the Father. Jesus humbled himself, it says in Philippians 2, even, to, even in, in obedience to death, even death on the cross. And God highly exalted him above every name that is named and gave him a name that at the very, at his name, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. What are we to do? We're to wait on the Lord, look to him and know that as we serve and as we give and as we lay our lives down on him, wait for him, he lifts us up. The gifts of God are eternal. The riches of God, the blessing of God, the glory of God, when he rewards, it's eternal. The rewards in this earth, the money, glory, and power that you get here and you get now is temporal. It's fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. So let us learn and understand that our ambition, our desire to gain and to get should be subject to God and understand that he is a good heavenly father and wants to give, wants to raise up. But who does God raise up? Who does God delight to exalt? Who does God bestow riches and honor on the humble, the contrite, broken, those who humble themselves before the Lord? That's who he lifts up. So Jesus, in the same way, humbles himself before God, submits to his father. And he says this to the, to the devil. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And that's who I serve, and that's who I submit under, and I will wait for him to give me my reward. So this doesn't work. Appetite doesn't work. Ambition doesn't work. So the devil goes, he's going to spin it completely on him. This is kind of this next one, this last one is the, uh, the way to, See that, okay, a guy wants to serve God. He wants to love God, follow God. So, okay, we'll work with that one. And the devil can have us wrongly test God. If you look at verse 9, 
And he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to them, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. Oh, crafty, clever. For it is written. This guy knows the Bible better than I do. I don't even know where this is from. He will guard his angels concerning you, to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. There you go. Now, here's what's, this is a pretty amazing, actually. Here's what the devil is probably thinking. Since Jesus is so trusting of his Father to go into the wilderness and go without food or water for 40 days, and seeing as he always goes back to God's word for support, that's what he, how he's answered the devil so far, why not put that test to a real uh, sorry, why not put that trust that he has in the Father to a real test? And let's go back, uh, and sorry, let's, let's back that test. Let's put him to a real test and back the test by the Word of God to give it support. To know that, hey, the Bible says this, seeing as you like to quote the Bible and you like to stand on what the Word says, the Bible says this. It says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So the devil concludes for Jesus, why don't you trust God for his word and let him prove it? Because here's another way of putting it. Why don't you fall off the temple and trust your heavenly father to keep his word? You've gone without food or water for 40 days and trusted him to keep his word. Why don't you do this and trust him to keep his word? Do you see what he's doing here? Okay, you've already, you're doing something crazy as it is. You're already like a temple jumper. I mean, you're going in the wilderness and you, you haven't eaten for 40 days, food or water. So you've done this. Why not go in the temple, trust his word, and throw yourself off the temple? Yet Jesus says something interesting, right? How does he respond to him? In verse 12, And Jesus said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Isn't that interesting? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, how? how what's the difference? He's in the wilderness for 40 days without food or water. Isn't that putting God to the test? Trusting his word? Well, trust his word and jump off the temple. This ha- in fact, it's not just the temple. This is your father's house. Herein lies the difference. The devil led Jesus to this particular test. God led Jesus to the other test. Now that is the fundamental difference. If you look back up at verse 1, and Jesus, what does it say? Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. If we go down the page, we go, and who took Jesus up to the top of the temple? The devil. The devil leads Jesus to the top of the temple. Now, let's just play this out for a moment. If God, by the Spirit, had led Jesus to the top of the temple and said, Jesus, cast yourself down from here. What would Jesus have done? 
he would have cast himself down from there. Trusting that his angels would bear him up. But it wasn't God who led him there, it was the devil. It wasn't the devil who led him into the wilderness, it was God. And the difference is, is that God, trusting God is different than testing God. And you can only trust God where you have him leading and his promise securing. You're testing God where he is not leading and you don't have his promise securing. It's a difference. Where you don't have his word, you don't have his promise, you don't have his leading, all you're doing is putting him to the test. When you have his word, when you have his leading, when you have his promise, you're trusting him. And this is a fundamental difference. Here's an example from history. If you look at Israel, if Israel was to get out of Egypt and all of a sudden, hey guys, let's walk off, wander off into the wilderness. And someone says, hey, why would we do that? Well, hey, God will provide. Look what he did in Egypt. We'll just go out there and he will probably, I don't know, maybe he'll throw food down from heaven. Maybe he'll have water come out of rocks. He can do that, can't he? Look what he did in Egypt. That's presumption. God didn't lead him there. God didn't call him there. God didn't tell him to do that. However, if God does lead, call, and tell him to do that, then they go trusting, knowing that God will provide. And that is a fundamental difference. And it's absolutely essential that we understand that because we can give in to this temptation very easily. We move forward into, at times into territory and areas that the Lord has not led us. And we say this. What do we say? We trust that the Lord will take care of us, will provide for us. Well, has the Lord led you there? Is, that, is this what his word promises you? Does he promise that you will... You know that you have this? Well, if, if you say, I don't, I don't know, well, why would you do it? Because now all you're doing is testing God. You're not trusting God. How many of us have made purchases or decisions or deals, and we didn't seek wisdom, we didn't seek God's word, we didn't spend time in prayer, we didn't, we didn't really seek him at all, and we find out it was the stupidest, worst decision we've ever made in our lives. Fools rush in. <laughs> and we rushed in, and we think, what have we done? But you look back where you follow God's word, you follow godly wisdom, you pray about it, you wait on the Lord and look for him to lead, and you find that when he's in it, and you make a decision, you make a deal, or you, you purchase something, or you do something, you find that his blessing in it, and he's with you. Have you ever made those decisions? You're like, wow, that's the best decision i ever made in my life. It's easy for us to get tripped up on this because this is the spiritual one, the temptation to test God. By te doesn't testing God seem spiritual? Because we're just people who are just, I'm going to walk by faith. Doesn't that, that's a, isn't that the most spiritual phrase out there? Just walk by faith? I'm just trusting the Lord. Well, you're being an idiot. And, and, and you're just testing the Lord. Let's, that's really what it is. You're testing the Lord. You are not trusting the Lord. But it's hard to tell somebody who's trusting the Lord that. And sometimes you just have to let people trust the Lord. And, and then, you know, that's the greatest lesson that ever could have learned. So we have to understand 
But this was a real temptation. This is one that easily gets missed on it, isn't it? We, we miss the, the temptation here for Jesus to do this because we, don't, we think it seems odd. It's odd for us. I would, you know, we'd be terrified out of our minds to, to be standing on the top of the temple to start with. And then it's at least it's about 60 feet up in the air. And then, um, you know, it's not really, okay, I, I don't want to jump. I'm not going to jump. This is crazy. What am I doing here? I mean, maybe if I had a bungee cord tapped to my ankle, we'd, we'd, you know, we might do something like that. But that would be for a different reason. This is a real temptation, and it's a temptation that all of us encounter, especially people who are trusting God. Because we can't trust God unless we have his word, his promise. Because sometimes God brings really hard providences into our lives, and he's the one leading us into these really hard providences. They're tough situations. And it's there that we often complain and grumble against God. We don't trust God. And yet we'll walk off and wander into things that we think are going to be really good for us but are stupid and foolish. And that's when we're talking all spiritual. We're going to trust God. But that's testing God. And if God leads you there, that's where you need to trust God. Because the promise to you, if God providentially leads you into really hard circumstances, the promise is that he will never leave you nor forsake you and that he will work this out for good. So you have to hold fast to the promise. God, you've promised. This is what you've said. Regardless of all the the other thoughts that come into your mind, you've promised. This is what you've said. I've got to hold fast to this. That's when you trust him. You also trust him as you move forward into the decisions that you have to make in life by wisdom, by his word, by counsel, by prayer. And you, and you move carefully following the Lord, trusting him. But if we rush forward, we end up as fools. I want to end this morning by just saying something, as I mentioned at the beginning, about computers. Not just computers, that's the wrong thing to say. The internet. Because you, your phone is, or your tablet or whatever, is just as much an issue. And you know the devil is having a heyday with us right now. And you want to know why? There's no accountability and no community. We were not meant to live like that. You take a person, you know what makes us upright so often? are the people standing to your right and to your left. They hold you upright. You remove them and you fall. God has built us to need one another. We're a body in need of each other. And what has happened is we have a scenario where we can be isolated islands and and all by ourselves. Nobody is looking. We have access to almost anything we want. Anything. By a click of a button. This, I couldn't imagine a more dangerous situation than that right there. That is a devil's heyday right there. No accountability, no community, nobody's looking, and I have access. You want to talk dangerous? You want to talk, see why so many people are falling? How could you not in that scenario? They, this, this has just created a scenario in which the evil one... <laughs> He's got it easy in a lot of ways. So many tempting, alluring things can be put before your eyes and no one's looking. I guarantee you, I will put 
I'd put my life on it. If someone was standing right there looking at that screen, it would change everything. Because that's how we're meant to live. People who are being watched. People who know, I know who's at my right and I know who's at my, who's at my left. And I live in a community. And if you live in community and live with accountability with people to your right and your left, you know, before the internet, you walk through life and the things that were before you were the things that were before you. They were there. And you had a harder time getting temptation and visuals in front of your eyes. Well, the, t- the TV made that quite easy. Magazines. There, are, there were ways, but nothing like we have today. I want to exhort all of you that you are going to have to make conscious decisions with this thing. And it's this, to become accountable. Become accountable. And that can happen in a few different ways. But they have products out there that can help with this, that can make sure that people are accountable with what you're watching on there. And if you don't like being accountable, if you don't want to be accountable, that says something right there. A flag, a major flag should be raised up right now. If me saying you need to get accountable, you should get something probably on your computer or some people or someone in your life to be eyes that are looking over your shoulder... And if you don't like that idea, that is a problem. That's a major problem. We have got to get accountable or the devil's going to have a heyday with us. And there's people going to fall like little tiny dominoes. They tip over so easy. It's prolific. It's epidemic. It's a problem. And we have to take this seriously. So that my exhortation to you is to get eyes over your shoulder somehow, some way, with your devices and the, and the portals you have to places that you should not go or be. The fool walked by her window. Well, every time we lift up a tablet or a phone or a computer, we can so easily walk by our window. So easily. It takes nothing. He had to walk. We just have to go. Click. That's it. Let us not be the fool, but be wise. Learn from our Lord and know that the devil is a masterful foe who seeks, goes about like a roaring lion seeking to devour whom he will. Understand that and be wise, be watchful, watchful, be sober-minded as Peter exhorts us. For the day we live in is far more difficult than the day they lived in in, for, in reference to temptation. Father, thank you that we have your word. Thank you that we... can be given eyes to see and ears to hear and know that we have to be careful, understand our enemy, understand his schemes and his devices. Father, please be merciful. Guard us from pride and arrogance, and may we be humbly seek you and find our strength in you and look to you to be our guard and our shield and our defender, our rock. And be wise. May we be wise, Father, not be fools, giving no opportunity to our flesh, but instead... 
taking the steps and the measures necessary to walk in obedience before you. In Christ we pray. Amen.